This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Playoffs. Hello and welcome to NL Playoffs. My name is uh, Gautam. I have with me my co-host Aniket. Aniket, say hello. Hello world. We are in round 28 of the NL Playoffs podcast. Uh, we are recording this on the 5th of October. It is Dashera day at 8.20 a.m. in the morning. So, um, Aniket, how's it going? Uh, before we introduce uh, our recurring guest on, just wanted to check in with you to see how your uh, sports week, last few weeks have been. It's been good. Uh, sports uh, always... Uh, keeps you entertained so that's a good part of it no matter how your week goes you can look forward for some sporting action on uh, the weekend so that always makes it fun i mean yeah, it can make or week? break your week but you know <laughs> it, it's you, you know what you're signing up as a sports fan and so. there's always something around the corner immediately afterwards anyway so there is no lack of sport if, if it's not football if it's, it's something else it's cricket or if it's not cricket it's formula one anyway anyway but right. uh we have uh, a recurring guest model for the first time on the show we have a back to we have a guest coming join coming and joining us back to back we have abhijit joining us again abhijit hello how's it going it's going great man thanks for having me again now this is a sort of a ramp scheduled uh, uh, booking for you abhijit on the podcast mainly because as soon as we finished recording our last episode roger federer announced his retirement i was like wow uh, it was uh weird to see that he announced we were just talking off and how old we were getting so that is if that is not one of the signs that we are getting older right on the what is yeah man for sure i remember on that podcast you know we discussed serena's retirement at length and i did mention that next is going to be roger fetter but yeah. i didn't i i didn't know they use you know it's just going to be a few days later so damn you abhijit uh <laughs> it's a sad moment in the history of tennis uh, but uh, yeah we'll talk about it the the celebrations were good so yeah we'll talk about yeah. it yeah we'll we'll talk all things uh, federer uh, towards the uh, latter half of the podcast what we want to do is to go through some sporting headlines so uh, we'll go we'll quickly go through some of the headlines that has been making the news and uh, and then we'll uh, talk about roger federer so uh, as sad and heartbreaking as it is we need to start with the indonesian football tragedy uh, that uh, took that happened what barely a week ago or last week sometime uh, at least 174 people were killed and near 180 yeah nearly 180 people were injured in a crush under riot at a football match in malang east java uh, according to reuters the the number was at 174 people i think the indonesian authorities have changed the official figures to 125 or something but i think either way the numbers are huge um seems like it was an already overcrowded stadium uh, arima fc was playing persebaya surabaya uh, now only the home fans which is the arima fc fans were allowed and i think there were about 2000 to 4000 people uh, uh, extra uh, than the capacity so uh the home team lost which led to pitch invasion and bottle hurling and police had resort to tear gas and one thing led to another it was just awful and awful abhijit uh, yeah man i mean it is a complete failure of law and order here that's what you know that's the first thing that comes to my mind and uh 
such a tragedy is happening in 2022 that's really really sad you know uh sporting authorities they should do a better job uh, le- uh law and police and you know all these authorities should do a good job like, like a better job and i have also realized this news hasn't been covered in the same manner as you know uh, like how do i say that in international media or if imagine if this happened in north america or europe people would have been changing their display pictures and you know everybody put, would have put up a status so i don't know i just feel very strange and sad about this whole incident yeah Anikit? it's rather unfortunate though right i mean uh, I, I i completely agree with abhit it is it is down to the management on ground right when i say management i don't mean the team management but sport and uh, the whole administrative process but it's also it comes down to the fans uh, at, at the end of the day, right? Like, uh, I know sport is a very emotive uh, topic and people are extremely passionate about it. And I think we here on the podcast are also passionate about it. But uh, yeah, it, extremely, it just, it's a bummer when something like this happens at this scale. Like, I I can only remember uh, something this big uh, was a Hillsborough disaster, was it? Like, yeah. at this kind of scale. And we still know, right? Like, it's still looked upon as the black day in football. Like, not literally, but uh, like, it's looking at them, one of those memorable days where people always uh, moan and stuff like that. So, and what surprised me was exactly what Abhijit said. Like, if this happened in any of the, uh, you know, football playing nations, as we uh, suppose, this would have been splashed all over. I think everyone in every corner of the world would know it happened. Uh, but I'm glad we're at least discussing it. It's just now. Yeah. We- Abhijit makes a very valid point because uh, we also don't know. So, for example, there was another tragedy that happened on the, uh, August 16, 1980, where 16 people were killed in a stampede inside the Eden Gardens. Uh, I think Mohan Bagan was playing East Bengal Football Club at the time. Now, nobody knows about yeah. that. There was a tragedy in Peru where 320 people were killed in a stampede in, a, in an Olympic qualifier when uh, Peru were playing uh, Argentina. So, again, we know Philsborough because happened in Europe, you know, it's, it, it is widely, it spread, the news makes uh, flashes around the world, but if it's, for lack of a better word, a third world nation or happening in a third world nation, we never get to hear it uh, as much as Abhijit said, because there is that inherent bias, I think, in the media where uh, such a tragedy is not covered at all sometimes. So uh, I also wanted to touch upon uh, passions that you spoke about, uh, Aniket, which is very, um, it's it's kind of very intriguing to me to see fans, especially football fans, who are so rabid. You know, uh, if uh, you like as small as uh, just abusing a an opponent on the pitch, right? You can see people flipping off and uh, making all kinds of gestures and talking about their families and stuff like that. See that part of sport, I do not get. I, I as you said, I'm as passionate as uh, any other person of my team. I love my team. But man, just hurling abuses, talking about their families and just calling somebody so like some of the abuse you hear from some of these Premier League fans, man, it's awful. You're right. And uh, this actually reminds me of one of the recommendations you gave, uh, the Figo affair, right? Again, you see how uh, when Luis Figo moved to Real, how fans were riled up and Again, it's not it's not a secret, but uh, the uh, rivalry between uh, Rangers and uh, uh, which other Celtic. Celtic. Yeah. yeah, it's one of the most brutal rivalries in football. Like it's almost always has led to fights. Again, we are passionate fans, but 
I don't understand where that comes from. Like, I mean, uh, it's tough for me to uh, make sit here and make a judgment call, but I think it can be avoided. That's all I can say. For sure. Um, let's move on. Um, I was just watching the Premier League last week. No, I haven't watched a lot of the Premier League. I know we haven't sp- spoken or talked about the Premier League as much. I don't want to talk about where we, where things stand in the Premier League and so on because I think it's pretty obvious. Manchester City seem to be the strongest side this season. I know Arsenal is on top, but I don't think there's anybody matching Manchester City's quality or uh, uh, what they've been achieved, what they've been doing so far. So we are eight games in, I think, or nine, eight games in. Most of the teams have played eight games, and in these eight games, Erling Haaland has had three hat tricks to his name. Right, uh, I think he already has what 12, 13 goals. I don't remember what the total is. He's by far going to be uh, the leading uh, goal scorer this season. I read a, I was hearing a podcast somewhere where they're saying Erling Haaland. Right now, as things stand, Erling Haaland would be the third highest goal scorer in 2005 or 2006 season or something like that already, and we're just eight games in. So, uh, my basic question was to just talk briefly about Erling Haaland to see how, if you are an opposing team. Um, I'll start with you, Anike. If you are if you are taking on Erling Haaland, how would you defend against him? How what would you instruct the defender? If I could answer that question, trust me, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I would be somewhere in Europe <laughs> managing a team. I mainly yeah. ask because he's he's so quick and he's so strong. Two things, right? He's, he's so if you no, yeah, he's, if you he's, press he's up staying. against him. If you press I was trying to him. actually uh, pull this stat out. Uh, basically, I had seen it over the weekend. So for uh, Hat trick, three hat tricks. I think the next in line is I think forty odd games or something. And uh, if I'm not wrong, it was Michael Owen. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Or Sergio Aguero, maybe one of them. I'll pull that stat out uh, in a while. But uh, basically, this person, whoever was there, took forty odd games, something along with that ballpark. And this dude does it in eight. So you can. It's like smash. It's like Usain Bolt smashing the record by two seconds, right? Like there is no other way to see this. So how do you defend against him? It's not an individual who can defend against him. You have to have like the perfect team defense, right? If you are, you are, you've lost the game. If you're expecting man to man, you're going to actually beat him. So how do you arrange a, a defense to do that? Let's ask Burnmouth. So I think they're the only ones he's not scored against. So maybe yeah, have that's two like... have a have a five man defense and maybe assign two people to in this at the center, two center backs. Just concentrating on Erling Haaland because what happens is, if you press up against him, he's going to run behind you, or if you just stand and hold back, he's going to be so strong and dribble the ball past you and hit the ball. You're not going to do as do you're not going to see as many results anyway. So it's it's a very tricky proposition. You need to have a defense that is not as you said man to man, but on a system. So exactly the the thing you said though is if he was playing for some other team, for example like Borussia Dortmund, nothing against them. They're a wonderful team. Like you can still afford, but if you put two people on the pitch on one player in Manchester City, you're gone. You're like you have Jack Grealish, you have Kevin De Bruyne, and let's not forget the balls Kevin De Bruyne like <laughs> delivers to Harland's feet and legs. They're like peach is what we call. It. And I think the third goal is something uh, when he scored against United. Oh my God, that was something. At this point, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it's a wonder how you stop him. Uh, yeah, Abhijit, you know. Uh... We don't talk about... Uh, Erling Haaland is the superstar right now. Um, 
Phil Foden, I don't know if you saw him. I've been high on Phil Foden for such a long time now for the last two years because I think he has it in him. Uh, but Guardiola has given him, you know, he hasn't started him as much as he should, I think. But now I think he is an automatic starter. He's starting ahead of uh, Mahrez. So what do you make of Manchester City this year? Manchester City, dude, they are strong. I mean, as you said, you know, uh, Arsenal is number one, but City is probably the best team in the league right now. And they will probably win uh, both uh, the Championship, the Premier League, and uh, they will go deep in the Champions League. Uh, but dude, what was Varane doing? Did you watch that match? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is not fair. It is not fair as uh, the co-host if I don't take this opportunity to rub it into Gotham and ask him what were his thoughts on the game. Uh, so, look, going in, United never stood a chance, let's face it. I was hoping it would be like a, you know, 2 nil match maybe. Try to uh, earn some prestige to get some brownie points. Uh, maybe score a goal. They end up scoring three, I guess. But let's not uh, flatter ourselves because those two goals from Marshall, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in America, they call it garbage time. When nothing is happening and you know the team is down, you're still going to get some baskets or some free goals. So that's how I take it. Um, I don't think there are many positives to take out of it other than to say that it is very much a team in progress. Give Ten Hag a big, big, big rope. Let him... Uh, do give him full independence. Give, let him establish a system. Eight games in, give the, give him a full season or two. I don't care. But build towards something. You look at Arsenal, right? You just spoke about Arsenal. Look at how they are. Yeah, they right. Took what, like, took three years, three years, right? You, if you know that you've got the right man, just hold on to him. Let him establish a system. You might fail. You might not make the Champions League the next two seasons or something, but shouldn't matter. Make sure you establish a team that is. Uh, that is solid, that is system-based, that has all the right habits, all the players gelling together. Uh, now, it all depends, comes down to the owners, right? The Glazer family. Uh, all, by all accounts, all they're concerned about is getting their dividends every quarter, right? They have, they're not investing as much money back in the club as they should. Now, look, they're invest, you can say they're pouring in money, transfer money, right? Uh, during the, in the transfer market, they're pouring in money. Yeah, but it's not going to be enough. You need investments in other areas as well. The stadium, the practice facilities, the academy and so on. It's not just good enough to get some big name players. So anyway, I don't think it's, uh, it's United are doing anything. It's actually interesting you say that because a lot of people certainly are pointing it out. Like I was, I think Gary Neville or something and about the Old Trafford, which is which mm-hmm. I knew growing up as a theater of dreams, right? So, uh, is now in like a rickety condition with leaks and stuff. Yeah. And uh, and just to add to what you said, like they are investing, but the investments they're doing is from the revenue the club apparently makes. So, it's not like uh, what a Roman would do back in the day. Now, now that the club is he's no more with the club, but like he would put his own money and uh, actually help the club go ahead. So, you know, you're partially right. It, it also comes down to the owners, but what one thing we know for sure is Arsenal is a transformed team, and I think if not, if this is the story that does not give uh, people a sight into thinking long term, then I don't know what will. But uh, I know they have not won anything yet; just nine games in, eight games in, but they still look like a different team. They play as you can recognize them as Arsenal, even if they didn't wear the same jersey. Just the way they play right now. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we'll talk more about. Uh... Formula One as we keep moving forward. So uh, let's move on to Formula One. 
let's talk about the singapore grand prix uh, that just complete uh, just completed on sunday uh, just want to get producer lipi in who's producing this podcast so uh, checo perez won it uh, i know uh, lipi you like sergio perez what do you make of the race i i think it was uh, race was quite interesting and uh, and checo's drive was really really good actually i mean the ev- while everyone was struggling and falling behind and everything i mean of course i wanted a ferrari win but it so it couldn't happen but you got uh, the next best thing lipi second and third yeah <laughs> i think that's what ferrari has been getting for a quite some time now but uh, i think uh, i think checo's drive was really impressive he drove I I think uh, and this year this was a second street race win after Monaco, so it was um it was great actually we we drove really well, and it was a tough race for Verstappen of course I mean had he won I think he would have won the championship this year, but uh, yeah it was it was quite interesting. If it's not. Uh, this uh, if it was not singapore he'll probably win it in the next uh, couple of grand, next couple of races right see i was on record saying like a few weeks ago that there's no way i don't think anybody can stop uh, must happen this year just because of the start he had and just because of the mistakes that ferrari was making as a team um as things stand uh, let's see must happen is at 341 be, uh, and leclerc is behind him at 237 so yeah there's he's, he has an unassailable lead right now interesting thing to see would be uh, or on the constructor side uh, red bull has 576 points with ferrari at 439 now i don't think ferrari will be able to catch red bull there either on the case oh yeah i mean it's not surprising right it's but, over uh, Unless i think red bull has back to back dnfs and ferrari wins all of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's like that's, two drivers I, failing over two seasons yeah. Yeah. this is this is awesome cuz i don't know if you have seen drive to survive any one of you but i think uh, in one of the episodes claire williams is like you know you can all you can hope is this just a pile on and the williams just goes there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this is our hope right now here what ferrari fans are hoping for so but yeah no with that being said um, i agree i mean i agree to what lippy said right like jeco is actually a master of the street circuit i think monaco singapore and he also won at baku uh, so with i think uh, racing point or force i mean that, at that time was it uh, it had just moved from race it had moved to racing point i think so yeah. uh, and he had won baku so he is really good at the street circuit but i also feel i have a controversial opinion here but um, he should have been penalized uh, for uh, basically the safety car so what happened yeah. just to give you, just to give you context the listeners context is that typically when a safety car the lights are on you have to maintain a 10 maximum 10 car 10 distance cars. that you can yeah. maintain and uh, our man checo perez uh, first time he had definitely more than 10 cars so it was like really to the end of the track almost and then uh, he was given a warning by the uh, fia uh, stewards and then the second time he again did that on the second safety car and then he was given a 5 second penalty so it was a very good day for him because typically you would have got uh, two back to back 5 second penalties then uh, this is what you know ferrari fans are hoping for right now so <laughs> this is the way <laughs> charles can win but no with that being said he did get lucky but he made the most of it i mean you got to make your luck so 
he was there from the first lap onwards he 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 led the race so it, it's wonderful i think sunday was like really action packed right we had this race and then the united city game was going on and then uh, the, cricket, the cricket t20 was on. yeah the t20 game was on and i start, watched the start of the race and then i left it uh, but then when i got to know that checo won you know i was really happy I, I really like Checo. I think you know, like as everybody said last year, he's a fucking legend. And uh, how he started as you know this Sahara India guy who got them a couple of podiums. I think uh, back in yeah. the day, and then uh, transitioning into Red Bull. Uh, then his teamwork last year, you know what he did for Max uh, last year that was great. And this year he won Monaco, and now he's won Singapore. I mean, uh, very underrated driver for a very long time, but now I think. he's getting um, all that attention he deserves and you know he's in the championship team so yeah very happy for checo and let's see uh, where things go from here i think max will win it very easily uh, to be honest like i know you still think there could be you know something could go horribly wrong but i don't think uh, i think max no, no i don't i don't think i hope they're two very different <laughs> things <laughs> fair enough but, but yeah. i think max and uh, red bull they both like you know um, they they're going to win Uh, the championship uh, uh, very soon yeah ain't no stopping uh, max verstappen at this point and i, I think, think by one thing, I, one thing i did want to add though is it feels good that someone who's in max teammate is at least able to win like otherwise it is just max 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 and only max verstappen which again kudos to him he's a brilliant driver but uh, it's refreshing to see that uh, i mean checo was actually slumping before this right so you you could see he was not doing very well so it's good to see uh, is second driver in red bull actually doing well when max is down that's the most important part so i think red bull fans will be thrilled with the way things are going and i think yeah. the longest time red bull couldn't even get a second drive like a consistent second driver so to have someone like checo for them i'm sure it would have been a nice nice break i guess i was actually also dis- a lot uh, disappointed with uh, i mean uh, with russell's performance actually not i mean uh, his record of having top 5 yeah. is was yeah. not there i mean he he had a really tough time driving his car this time yeah so, even hamilton i think he fell yeah. from p3 to 9 or 9 or 10 yeah yeah so it was like sad but uh, i mean they have mercedes i have more faith in them than i have ferrari that's it yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> a lot about me as a ferrari fan but yeah So yeah, this is an incredible team. Yeah. Like I have no doubt they'll come back. Guys, I have one question. Yeah, go ahead. Hamilton said he's he has five more years left in him. <laughs> Do you think he can win another championship? Yeah, I, I think, think. Yeah, I go think. ahead, Lippy. I'll let you go first. Yeah. So, as I do I think he's given himself five years because I think he wants to break that record. I think he will. Oh wow. I do think I'm. I'm pretty sure Mercedes will come back. Uh, like I think this was Ferrari's best chance this year to win a championship, which clearly they did. They're not going to. But yeah. I think next year Mercedes is gonna come back. That team is very, very strong. I mean, I have full, full. I'm more faith in Toto than you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just by looking, just by looking at him, I think you have more. I have more faith on. <laughs> I have like I hundred percent echo Lippi's thoughts here, and this talks a lot about the Ferrari fans here. But uh, it is, it is. I mean, come on. If 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 Hamilton gets a good car, like he's up there, like 
uh, he's going to be up there. The question is, will they get a good car? Yeah, Mercedes. Yeah, but they also there. they might take yeah. time, but they'll get there. It's not even. It's not immediately, but definitely. I mean, for, with with Hamilton, just give him a car that is competitive. I I not think the fastest on the grid. Give him a car yeah. that is competitive that can keep up with the Red Bulls and the Ferraris, and I think he'll be up there. Ah. Uh, generally uh, looking at the trend these days for all great that great athletes i think the average uh, lifespan of an athlete has now increased by 5 years at least is my opinion you look at tom brady you look at lebron james you look at uh, i mean for that matter who who was the other guy i was thinking recently who who everybody's getting older now it's not as if you are 34 and 35 or you're slowing down now they have all these hyperbaric chambers and getting treatments of all kinds conditioning Uh, and going to germany to get some blood transfusions and what not as obviously this point what, what, what is blood transfusion i didn't know i, nah, didn't know. I, I keep hearing things on podcasts as where athletes sometimes go to germany and get some blood transfusions that is supposed to rejuvenate their body and make them new or something but anyway there is like new modern yeah, techniques like i'm not i'm right not now. Yeah. exactly i'm not necessarily saying they're doing anything illegal or anything like that but i'm just there are new it's it's modern science now so the yeah. lifespan of athletes has definitely increased so if hamilton says he can be there for what five more years is what 36 37 now i believe him at formula 1 probably takes a lot of toll on your body than probably any other sport but still, i i do believe him and trust him dude fernando alonso is someone we can look up to yeah he is freaking 42 now or something or maybe even yeah. a little bit more yeah. uh yeah and he's he's doing pretty well pretty damn well Yeah, and what Pedro won his last Grand Slam in 2018, right? 2018. Yeah. Uh, so how 37. old was he then? 37. 37 so come on. So if he has a Grand Slam title in him, I'm sure Hamilton has more than uh, one race win at least. Right? The question so, is, the question is, uh, it is like you know, Federer was a reigning champ up to what? Like it's until Nadal and Djokovic came. That's when things went south. So it is similarly. You have Max Verstappen now. his teammate yeah. George Russell is pretty good uh, this Charles Leclerc but i think he, he has one title in him somewhere yeah. so yeah. elite athletes but, have a way of figuring it out i'm sure the hamilton yeah. will do the same yeah like yeah. people would say I, ne- i would never bet against hamilton actually like yeah. no, no i agree no i said uh, like he said if there's one championship i just said maybe like kimi he just won one championship so i'm yeah. hoping hoping charles has one ferrari makes one because it's a really long time for ferrari also to have a championship in the name actually yeah i yeah. mean after uh, schumacher no one actually remembers even though kimi was there but no one actually mm. remembers the ferrari championship after schumacher that's true we as much as it pains yeah nobody remembers we are like the old arsenal <laughs> who are going on invincible <laughs> ever since so yeah But anyways, with that being said, uh, yeah, do you yeah, want to add any more Gotham to this? No, uh, let's let's move on to obviously DP touched upon the T20 uh, over internationals that's been happening around the world as uh, Pakistan yeah, so is playing. In, yeah, please catch me up with what's happening in the T20 world. Like, no, there's no catching up. I don't think because everybody's playing exhibition games right now in preparation for the T20 T20 World Cup coming up in Australia in a couple of weeks' time. Mm-hmm. India's playing South Africa. Uh, they just played. Uh, who did they play just before South Africa? Australia. Australia, right? So they played Australia. Pakistan had played uh, England. I think for seventy twenty years. These are just friendlies, like no, no they're no, they're bilateral tournaments, just exclusively okay. restricted to T20s. Okay. But 
I know the Australia one because Australia was touring India, right? Yeah, in that one. Well, just for those three T20s, which is yeah. for the World Cup. Yeah. Uh, right. So um, we we I'm just looking at uh, the squad for India specifically now. They just announced Bumrah is out for the World Cup because he has a injury, so he's out. He has a leg injury of some kind, so Bumrah is out. Um, Ravindra Jadeja has already uh, has been declared out, so that means we lost two premier uh, Indian players owing to injuries. Now Bumrah, I think, is by far the best player, best bowler in the world. Now Ravindra Jadeja is probably one of the best all-rounders in the world, or if, if not, he's right up there. So uh, I think going into the World Cup. This time around, I think India has a very iffy squad. Uh, Abhi, I don't know what you make of that, but I think they have slim. They might make the semi-finals, but I don't have a lot of hope in them this time around. Rohit Sharma is really going to be tested. Yeah, for sure. Like I remember, we just discussed it. You know, at the end of Asia Cup, uh, I I said, you know, I'm a big Rohit Sharma fan, but uh, his captaincy decisions and um, yeah, I'm not really sure now. And with this kind of squad. I don't know, man. Only I think if it's like you know a miracle, I think we're gonna win. Otherwise, as you said, you know, a semis is our best chance, best shot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they do have a solid batting lineup. Suryakumar Yadav has been awesome, but again, I, I think uh, Hardik Pandya is the only all-rounder there who is, who can bat and bowl very well. But I think T20 requires more balance than just one uh, all-rounder who can do a lot of things. So. Yeah, uh, it's very slim pickings, I think, as far as winning the tournament itself is concerned. So we'll see what happens. It's coming up in a couple of weeks' time. India plays Pakistan. Uh, they're promoting the crap out of it, so we'll see what happens in that uh, uh, match a, as well. I think it's on Diwali. The game is on Diwali. Oh, great! Quiet times. Uh, well, I think it's in the afternoon. It's one thirty India time, so it's not that bad, I guess. Oh, the TV people know what they're doing, man. They they know how to earn their money. Yeah. Are we are we hosting the? TV no, no, Western? it's happening in Australia. Okay. Okay, I, I will we'll we'll talk more about this. As I said, I know the national games are happening as well. Abhijit, you just alluded to it earlier, just before we press record. Uh, tell us what's happening there. So, uh, national games uh, are happening for the first time in six years. Uh, we are supposed to have them regularly, uh, but. For some reason, they didn't uh, occur, and then now they are taking place in Gujarat. Um, and I've been only following tennis, uh, so I've seen uh, you know uh, Maharashtra uh, and uh, like uh, states like Gujarat. Uh, they're doing really well, and India's best tennis players are playing. Like India number one Ankita Raina, and uh, someone like uh, Rutuja Bhosle, she's India number three right now. There are some young kids I've spoken about uh, them I think on this podcast like uh, Vaishnavi Adkar uh, those they 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 all are playing and um, yeah the opening ceremony was great prime minister modi was there uh, with uh, our olympic heroes so you know someone like neeraj chopra he was getting mobbed everywhere uh, and there was a funny incident on the stage where uh, all our Olympic athletes were in one line uh, with uh, our prime minister and there was of course you know a lot of uh, photos being taken and at some moment, uh, the Olympic athletes were just told to leave the stage so that our Prime Minister uh, can have a solo photo shoot. Uh, yeah, uh, that's about it. <laughs> and it's happening. That's a, in- that's a wonderful segue into the next two topics we want to talk about, Gautam. So I just wanted to probe everyone here and get your opinion on f- fair Prime Minister of India is there. Fine. At the end of the day, he's a politician. But the whole culture in India of having politicians come give these awards, inaugurate, it's fine. 
but i in my opinion i think it's troubling especially when the politicians are there to hog the limelight limelight sorry for what is actually meant for as a platform for the athletes right so we saw that even with uh, sunil chhetri and the west bengal uh, governor come up so basically chhetri was pu- literally pushed off by the governor himself so i think uh, prime minister is much more decent so he didn't do it himself but uh, here, he has a whole entourage to do it for mark zuckerberg doesn't think so <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but with that being said like i i think it is it speaks a lot about our sporting culture like our sporting ecosystem of where we put our athletes right it it's a clear hierarchy like you are it's not said but you are establishing it through your actions that uh the event which is organized for the athletes by the athletic federations is come and then you here want to do a photo op uh yeah i think it's very troublesome uh it, it's a problem in indian sport i feel i don't know how do you solve this problem but uh it should definitely be looked upon to i i feel politicians have no business doing this uh and it, there was seen recently like i don't know how we do it but all our boards are run by politicians like all the federations are run by politicians there are elections i don't see a way around it but the suck up culture of having a politician come and light a candle for every you have so many freaking phenomenal athletes who can come and light that candle for you i don't understand why uh, it's always a politician who's called upon and he does it and then he pushes the players off stage uh, yeah it, it's sad yeah, i think it, it talks a lot about us as a country which is very disappointing like as we much, don't as, yeah as much as but, i hate as much as i hate to say this i think the future now is with the private sport bodies as much as i not a completely a big fan of exclusively private bodies running it because our track record has been pretty much established right now in india which is all these politicians run these federations and there is nothing coming out of this other than the self interest so uh the more private organizations the more investments that are happening outside of these federations into sport i think the better it is for all the athletes otherwise i don't think we'll see any results it's sad i don't abhijit you should uh, talk more cuz you're organizing and i think it's a good segue into what you're organizing i think it's important for you to talk about the whole league that you're organizing as well but before that we'd like your thoughts from the back end why do you think this even happens why why do we want politicians to come and light that candle because clearly if it's not him someone else will go and light it up but there there has to be something significant about wanting this one person to come and uh, give a blessings I, i think there's a lot to unpack here okay let's just first start <laughs> with uh, sports as a political tool i think it's not just in the, it happens everywhere like for example you can talk about 2018 russia 22 qatar you know uh, what's united states is trying to do in 2026 but it all happens at large scale you know uh, corruption bids you know trying to uh, use sporting success for your own image and all that but in india like any every other corruption problem it happens at you know smaller scale so even if you have a kabaddi tournament in your society a local politician will come and he'll take you know uh, he'll get all the spotlight uh, and you know uh, as if it's because of him everything is happening and uh, there's no contribution of the organizing committee or the athletes involved and stuff like that uh, but uh, the reason this happens like the, the to answer your question is uh, because india is still uh, the uh, the politicians are very powerful in every sense because they are the ones who are holding the purse 
they have the access to the funds so everybody around them need to be nice to them make make them feel good make them feel uh, respected and pampered ha- pampered uh, and this is the reason uh, all these things are happening uh, very unfortunate uh, but yeah, i mean as you say you know like i remember something like this happened with mr sharad pawar and ricky ponting uh, the australian cricket team and uh, then again you know something like uh, this is happening with uh, our own uh, sunil chetri the uh, <laughs> captain of indian football team um so yeah uh, i hope things improve in the future uh, but they, i say this for a lot of things when it comes to indian sports but let's see i mean uh, as long as uh, there's this culture uh, where politicians are getting elected to sporting bodies uh, i think i i don't see things changing uh, completely so uh, to just bounce off your point right which you said like russia usa inaugurating if it's the olympics heck yeah i want prime minister modi to be the person to go and you know light everything up at that international scale i understand but here every tucha gali cricket some guy there also local mla will come and light the candle like i don't know if you witnessed it in yours but like i, I have played district and like the extreme low level of sport i have played and you'll see these random people will come and they'll give a speech and no, trust me none of the athletes give a rats ass about what he's saying nobody cares but he will still come and he will give this speech and which is which is very troublesome like i i, I don't know uh, and one more thing i did want to say is like leadership is super supremely important right and i think there are lessons to learn about what a good leader is from this like for example if you see mahendra singh dhoni when he won the world cup he was the guy standing right at the back letting his team lift the cup for him you know if you take examples of even satish dhawan who was a space isro director when when it failed when the uh, slb failed he went and took the press conference and when it was successful he sent kalam to take the press conference so this clearly tells you what kind of leader we have we are here kaam nahi karne ka photo lene ka type so everyone jumps up at the first opportunity uh, of uh, photo op and to be on the papers it's troubling it's a societal problem it's much deeper than sport i feel but uh, i mean it is what it is uh, let's not get emotional and <laughs> get into this discussion but yeah do you guys add anything more to add to this No, Sorry, I, I on a tangent there, but yeah. No, I don't have any further comment on this. Other than this, I think we should probably segue to our next headline, Aniket, which is probably about the same topic. Yeah. But we should probably so, present it without this, any this, comment. This was reported on September twentieth in almost all the newspapers uh, and digital media uh, platforms. Was UP athletes were served food in a toilet, right? And uh, the state government uh, after the news went viral. uh basically suspended the saharanpur sports officer uh, animesh saxena following the controversy over the viral video so if it wasn't for social media this man would have called some politician to inaugurate that fest also but uh, unfortunately it is not to be but anyways uh, when he was asked what it was he said the food <laughs> he said the food was kept in the changing room uh, and this is source ndtv bracket toilets because space crunch so that was uh, what he said and i don't know if you seen the video but it was traumatizing uh, what these athletes went to so i think it was i mean even though we are two weeks late i think in this type of topics it's better to be late than never discuss it so yeah that that's what happened on a similar lines where you have uh, officers and uh, politicians involved in sport which is why i think more the reason for uh, private uh, private bodies to invest i think 
and take care of the athletes that way. I know it's probably a little more expensive for the players as well as for the athletes as well. But uh, as much as I hate to say it, uh, all these athletic sporting bodies that are run by these politicians are. Uh, I, I, we, I don't want to repeat everything that we just said. So, yeah, anyways, I mean, and I just want to say one last point. Like, I mean, I think this is food for thought for folks, but at least if you called some Sunil Chetri or Bai Chang Bhutia to a tournament, the kids have someone to look up to. You know, there's someone yeah. to You're calling some unknown politician, nobody gives two rats ass about except himself. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it just doesn't serve any purpose uh, in my books, at least. Like if you are a footballer, just if you are a footballer, just looking at Baichang or Sunil Chetri would be right? something to do. Because I remember yeah. our our school had a on obviously Hyderabad, so VVS Lakshman was a guest in our and dude, people were you could see there was an excitement about the whole cricket team was like oh pumped up and it's good to see that kind of energy. I don't know what kind of energy you get seeing a, a politician inaugurate the. Ceremony or close it for you. Anyways, I I think I've spoken too much on this. Let's move on <laughs> to. Let's move on to some. I guess I don't know if this is sad news or if it's. I don't know. Let's let let's talk about Roger Federer and his retirement. So Roger Federer announced his retirement what a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago now. Um, he said the Labor Cup was going to be his last uh, competitive uh, tournament. So. What it ended up to be an extremely uh, poignant and emotional event. Uh, he, for his last uh, match and his only match, turned out to be with Nadal playing doubles, which is, I think, which I thought was extremely sweet, for a lack of a better word. Uh, and I think, uh, talk about the tournament. I know you watched it from uh, um, cover to the end, uh, Abhijit. So uh, uh, just uh, enlighten us on how the tournament went and how Federer carried on uh, through the tournament. Sure. So, Lever Cup is actually one of the most exciting events on the tennis circuit, uh, you know, where uh, Team Europe plays uh, rest of the world. And uh, Federer hasn't played the event since 2019 uh, because 2020, of course, they had to cancel it because of the COVID. And 2021, he had an injury. So, he came after uh, like three years almost. Uh, but yeah, I, I always enjoy the event because uh, it's a unique event in the sense that the format is different and then it's played on a black court in an indoor stadium once in Europe and once in like rest of the world. So this time it was at London O2 Arena where Federer has a lot of success at the ATP finals. Uh, he's won there, you know, uh, uh, the total he's won six ATP finals. I think he's won two there, 210 and 211. Uh, so yeah, great memories. Uh, he's got there and when he announced that you know this is going to be his last event I mean of course that evening was very emotional for me I cried I have no shame in admitting that and then uh, I just you know uh, wrote down some words and thankfully News Laundry published that so that's my recommendation Uh, if you know anybody wants to go check out that article um, that will be really nice and uh, yeah the whole event it was emotional uh and then by the end of the third day, Team World, you know, who's never won the Labour Cup before, they ended up as, you know, uh, the winning team. And uh, yeah, uh, it was a bittersweet moment for Federer. As he said, you know, he lost his last singles match, last doubles match, last team event, everything. But Dude, he, that, that tweet is worth reading out. I think that yeah. was phenomenal. Like, it <laughs> just, it made me tear up. Like, 
Yeah, and yeah. he said, you know, the perfect, but still it was the perfect retirement ceremony because his greatest rivals like Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, you know, the next generation, uh, you know, the biggest stars, Stefano Tsitsipas, Kasper Ruud, everybody was there. Uh, and imagine, you know, you're retiring in the arena where there's Beyond Bogue on one side, John McEnroe inside, Mr. You know, Rod Lever is in front of you, your family, friends, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it, I don't think, I think this was one of the best retirement ceremony I've ever seen. Um, and your biggest rivals crying at your retirement ceremony. Tell me which other sport did does this happen, right? That, that, that was, dude, that was to me was, that was something that got to me. This Nadal is crying like a baby. Uh, it was, I don't know what, uh, you know, we don't uh, see as much of Federer and Nadal because, I mean, we've seen them play on court, but we haven't seen them off court as much. We have a video here and video there. There's a video of them laughing uh, non-stop and I think they were promoting something that's a great video to watch. But uh, that was something that got to me. Uh, I'm, because I probably because we don't know how they how close they are off the court. Uh, this probably gave us a light uh, into uh, how much they really liked each other and how much they respected each other, Raniket. Absolutely. I think this is a good cue for actually playing that last retirement uh, uh, speech of his, we should add it up in the voice uh, Everybody's here tonight from my family, so it's great. Um, we've had so much, so much fun over the last um, 13 years, ever since. Yeah, ever since everybody's here, the girls, the boys, my wife's been so supportive, and... <laughs> she could have stopped me a long, long time ago, but she didn't. She kept me going and allowed me to play, so it's amazing. Thank you. I find that always funny. We always blame my mom for everything because without her, I wouldn't be here, of course. So thanks to my parents, you've been amazing. Thank you. And uh, just everybody. Too many people to thank. It's just been incredible. My God. Fantastic night. But, thank yeah, you. man. I mean, uh, <laughs> like your biggest rival who has probably played the greatest game of tennis against you, is tearing up there uh, for you. Just speak so much. I mean, words cannot do justice to anything after that. Like, no matter what I say, it means nothing. But, uh, yeah, it, it made me tear up as well. And it was sad. I mean, there was... Uh, we've discussed this time and again on this podcast, Gotham. I think what the first, one of the first episodes we started was with the... Uh, 2008 Grand Slam uh, final Wimbledon. So that was one of the first we recorded as well. So some wonderful, yeah. yeah, wonderful memories. And uh, well, that's all I can say. There was always that hope that Federer would uh, be the highest uh, Grand Slam winner, at least in my book. I was very selfish about it, but you know what? He's left the sport in very good hands. Let's put it that way. Like uh, it's uh, yeah, it, it was a monumental time and. Again, uh, there was a pic that went viral, right? Uh, 
playing to the best of his abilities i think that's probably when he thought it's over i know his injuries have been la- uh, have been uh, taking a toll on him for the last at least what last year right so it's not two years two, uh, yeah, two years now 2019 yeah. so yeah so i think he saw the writing on the wall and said you know he's not going anywhere with this so might as well retire and i think he i don't know if he planned it completely or not but the timing of it was just perfect i thought he might come back to play at least one grand slam as his last one but i think he thought he was not going to go deep in any grand slam at all so he thought let me just end on a high note uh, let me end on a high note with all my friends with me with all my rivals with me with all the legends with me with my family it turned out to be a perfect perfect event for him so i was yeah. about to ask the uh, the panel here what was uh, what was your earliest memory of roger fer i've been trying to remember what my earliest memory was so i'll start with you abhijit So I remember uh, him in the final with Andy Roddick. This is, I think, two thousand four, two thousand five. Yeah, I mean, of course, Federer won his first Slam in John three. Uh, that's how it started. But I remember getting into tennis with you know Mirza, Federer, and Nadal. So it is two thousand four, two thousand five ish, and uh, Federer. Yeah, oh four, oh four Wimbledon. Yeah, oh four Wimbledon is the first time I saw a Grand Slam final, and since I have not missed. any grand slam finals or federer's finals for sure like uh and yeah that's my f- first memory and i just remember this you know like a really graceful person from switzerland very stylish and i don't know if you remember federer like you know federer also used to have like really long hair and you know uh yeah he looked like picture perfect on the tennis court federer in all whites at wimbledon was magic you know So that's my first Federer memory. Uh, yeah, and uh, I've been a fan ever since. Aniket. So my first memory, surprisingly, uh, is not seeing him play singles, but he was playing doubles, mixed doubles. So I'm. I don't remember who his partner was. Maybe it was his wife. I don't remember, but I remember him laying a few single hand backhands uh, in that game, and I I don't even remember who uh, the opponents were, but I remember it was mixed doubles because. then i googled and found out who this player was and uh, then i'm like oh wow this guy is exciting and i think after that so maybe this is 2002 maybe because uh, after that he ended up winning his first grand slam so i basically uh, that's my first i don't know which game it was which roughly ballpark year 2002 maybe i saw and i'm like oh this is so interesting let me see who this is and that's that, that's my memory yeah So, as was uh, my cousins yeah i i so my elisabeth was i remember i don't not watch the game obviously but when he beat peter tampers in 2001 right i i remember watching the highlights or something like that because i i for sure remember his uh, winning forehand of the uh, uh, winning forehand return of the serve right yeah uh, i remember looking at his low tampers crash up to this uh, young kid and looking at him he was not at that time it was not 
striking it resembles you couldn't you know, make much was, of him yeah you're right yeah. Like, you wouldn't think much of him at that point like yeah i was rewatching the the, the highlights again uh, last night uh, it it struck me as to how raw federer was at the time it uh, what stand outs to me was he was his little outlandish with his strokes he was more emotional uh, now the federer that we've come to know is 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 very tight in technique very compact there's this economy of movement and stuff like that but he was running around he was he was a bit of a wild horse when he was looking at uh, uh, the sampras federer match in wimbledon but also what strikes out what uh, stood out for me was how different the game was back then the pete sampras just short points just points would last what two or three shots because he would come up to the net every time sampras right he would just serve and always come up to the net so the points were very 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 short there was no rallies there was no baseline play but federer was you know you could see that federer had uh, the game right so um, what made him so appealing to us i know aniket told about his single handed backhand but abhijit what do you made him so appealing to watch uh, basically his attacking style uh, i said it in the article also like uh, there was this time when when federer came on the scene you know when he defeated sampras and before that he played the sydney olympics and you know he was playing hopen cup and uh, he started winning titles one after another he won his first title in milan the atp title and the players on the circuit were talking about him you know ki oh dude this one this guy little guy from switzerland okay and he's playing he it's amazing to watch him play so uh, his attacking style of tennis which is uh, very efficient like like for example there are a lot of players who are beautiful to watch you know richard gasquet and you know there are many more but they don't have the success like what the federer was able to get you know to actually win the matches win the trophies and to win the grand slams so when you combine style and success i think it has an aura of its own and that's what you know uh federer's you know beautiful forehand the best forehand in my opinion uh, his uh, his backhand is not the best but it's the most beautiful to watch and his serve is underrated in the sense that i mean till this age you know 219 wimbledon if you saw like his serve still remains one of his biggest weapons so i feel like you know federer is actually let's say okay let's give rafa the best forehand federer has the second best forehand okay give backhand best backhand to djokovic federer has second or third backhand if you have to talk about serve you can give you know isner the number one serve or something federer has second or third best serve but on average he becomes number one player you know yeah. so he has an overall uh, all court game and that's what makes federer so entertaining to watch and so beautiful to watch yeah i think you 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 said it well it is success and uh, and technique uh, but also what i think stands out with federer is his temperament right he's he's completely at least on the outside he looks like he he's like okay on to the next point on to the next point doesn't matter even you know sometimes there was all these grand slam finals or semi finals where his back on backhand was not working at all he would commit so many unforced errors with his backhand but still somehow find a way through it anikith which is i think he had he had that mental thing in him once he started winning those grand slams for sure and you've seen that uh, again one of the things that made me a fan of his was this later on in his career you would see he would go 2-0 down and uh, there was almost always a comeback written like federer you couldn't rule him out right now it's very common to see these 2-0 uh, comebacks but back in the day in my memory at least uh, federer was one of the few in grand slam finals also 
who go to nil down and basically have the calm composure to come back i mean obviously he's lost his cool but so few they're countable on uh, on your fingers the number of times he's actually lost it on court so and i think uh, like abhijit said very well like again maybe he's not the most uh, mentally or driven power like he's second to jokovic maybe but again see <laughs> it's it's you know one to everywhere like and then you come out like a complete package right so uh, it, it was that and one thing i obviously uh, fell in love i was a sampras fan like i always so my my dream for federer was like sampras like he would win his final grand slam and then call it quits uh, but uh, after i saw this i was like oh i was so wrong you did not need that to have a, you know a wonderful retirement and i realized that after i saw this event like always there will be my thing like oh you got to relieve on the top and then that's why i said that tweet really resonated with me when i read it about him saying he lost everything and yet it was perfect because in my head it was like feder has to go out on the top feder has to go out on the top and when he the way he went out i couldn't be happier like even though it was nothing that i uh, wanted it is not what i wanted as a feder fan but it still made me say wow you know that's that's a career like Yeah. yeah and i i just wanted to talk about uh, actually unfortunately feder has never come back in a grand slam final from two sets uh, love down you know uh, yeah. maybe in some other matches he must have but oh, yeah. uh, okay. in a, in a final he hasn't come but again he's had you know five setters like 2017 austin open where nadal was you know in the fifth set he was leading and then that rally 26 shot early i think nobody can forget and he made a comeback and i think that that victory 2017 austin open remains my favorite victory of federer's um and he has so many amazing uh, victories throughout his career 103 titles 20 grand slams 6 atp titles 28 atp masters 1000 titles two olympic medals you know one in singles uh, silver medal and one in gold uh, with san wawrinka uh, he's won hopman cup three times uh, hopman cup three times i mean uh, he's had the, all the success you know but uh, off the court also uh, he's almost a billionaire now you know i think a uh, lot of people do talk about it now a lot of people are studying you know how he got there academically also people are studying how federer got there uh, and uh, with all this success he still remains uh, that you know great idol to look at i mean uh, i think that, that's his story that that's why he's the greatest for me uh, and uh, and let yeah. me just quickly interject i think there is no better brand ambassador to rolex than roger federer <laughs> <laughs> not just rolex for tennis or for yeah. like a lot of sport remember all those Wim- yeah remember all those wimbledon ads in slow motion Ex- promoting exactly <laughs> so i mean i like, think wow. i think we should play that song as our end yeah. rolex uh, music yeah. where federer you know yeah for sure we should do that uh, so he federer with his first grand slam title at wimbledon in 2003 and i think that essentially kicks off his uh, stardom and number one uh, ranking right 2003 to 2007 18 sorry yeah 2003 2007 i think was his purple patch his golden period he was he won what 12 grand slam titles so that's four year period so he won what 12 out of 16 grand slam titles which is uh, kind of unbelievable and i think at that time i think he had literally no rival to speak of Leighton Hewitt, Andy Roddick, Agassi was there on his last legs. Mark Philippoussis, I think he beat Philippoussis in 2003. Uh, Tim Henman, Safin, Murray, nobody stood a chance against him in those 
four years uh, i think up, up until nadal came onto the scene uh, there literally federer had literally had a monopoly yeah, but, over the game you know it's funny because federer won his first slam in round 3 and nadal it's not like you know it took no. five years he came into round 5 Yeah. The only problem is Nadal didn't go deep in grass court tournaments or US Open tournaments, you know, hard court tournaments where Federer was winning all the time. And that kind of also affected the rivalry because Federer always used to meet Nadal on clay and he used to lose and that kind of impacted his other results. Uh, but, you know, Federer kind of recovered in his last seven matches where he won six uh, matches against Nadal. But in the beginning, that was the rivalry. And of course, it's on 10 to 11. um it was just federer and nadal who dominated the tennis world and then djokovic came and you know the rivalry completely changed uh but yeah i mean even after that he managed to win five more slams you know from 2010 austrian open to 2018 austrian open um and he i mean yeah uh, I, i i like as you said you know he's the best ambassador for rolex but i think he's the greatest ambassador tennis has ever had and uh Yeah I mean I I'm going to miss him man like I'm going to miss him so much just to watch him we'll, we'll keep saying we'll keep saying that we miss him every two minutes that's fine um let's uh, I think one of the uh, one of the grandsons he lost to was in 2005 after Roden when he lost to Safin this is one of my all time great games I don't know why I why I like that game so much because I was probably young and impressionable because I watched the whole game from start to the end and Safin was like Oh, there's nobody who could beat Federer. And Safin came in and he was playing the game of his life. He ended up winning the tournament. He beat Federer in the semifinals. Uh, but man, that was a great game to watch. But yeah, it was so huge that somebody beat Federer in a Grand Slam because he was that unstoppable at the time, Aniket. Yeah, 100%. And one more thing I did uh, like notice was in Federer, there was a constant improvement always like in terms of strategy, tactics, He, he kept evolving with the game because one of the best examples that comes is very late on he started this thing where he would uh, run up for the serve i don't know if Seber, you... Seber. Seber. sneak sneak he, attack by roger sneak attack yeah. by roger yeah yeah <laughs> so that thing so when i first saw it it was with these young kids who were unknown i'm like you know this is never going to work in a proper tennis game with you know you have jokovic he fucking did it with jokovic he pulled that off with And like, yeah. there was, and his shots were like, yeah, man, I don't know what to say, but you, like you could see an evolution. Like there were times where he had like crazy unforced errors, and then you would slowly see they would reduce. Uh, he would work on his game constantly. I would feel, and that's what uh, made him uh, the player he was. I think uh, we spoke about the unstoppable Federer and his golden period. Uh, he ended up with eight Wimbledon Grand Slams. Uh, Abhijit, what do you think made him so? so unbeatable on grass well his serve his first serve his second serve uh his uh, serve and volley game which is still you know almost you can't see it in the modern players anymore um and uh, yeah i mean i he knew when he got on the wimbledon stage that this is my lawn you know you are a guest here and then he used to dominate the, every player who came in like remembered from 2003 to 2007 he won five in a row he was in the sixth final in 2008 so uh, complete dominance even after that he won in round 12 actually i was there when i saw him beat andy murray and you know that was like a magical experience then again on the same grounds he won his silver medal for switzerland uh, at the 2012 olympics 
And then uh, 14, 15, unfortunately, he lost to Djokovic, who were like the peak Djokovic, but only Federer was still number two back then, you know, who could come closer to Djokovic's level because Federer beat him in Dubai and Cincinnati and all, all other places. Uh, only at the Grand Slams, he couldn't beat him. And then 2017, he came back, you know, he won again. Sledge, that was like a great year. And then 2019, that very hurtful loss where he had match points and then from there he lost. It was unfortunate. But yeah, again, uh, a very aggressive serve and volley game made him uh, so successful. And he remains the holder of, you know, most titles at the most prestigious tournament in the world of tennis. So, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think you, you said that he probably had the game for grass because he had a great all-around game. He did all the things so well. He might not be the best at doing it, but he did all the things so very well that probably made him... Uh, good at uh, Wimbledon. You spoke about Nadal, who emerged in 2005. Um, I think the emergence of Nadal as a real force towards, what, 2007-2008? I think he made his first Wimbledon final in 2006, I think? Six. When Federer yeah. kept beating him. Uh, 2006, he beat uh, Nadal. He beat Nadal again in 2007. And 2008 is when they played an all-timer. So, uh, how important was it for Federer to have somebody like Nadal? Uh, and I think for me personally, I think it was great for tennis that Nadal was there, emerged as this rival, and dare I say, eclipsed Federer because he beat him on grass, Aniket. Oh, 100%. I think even if you look at their head-to-head record, uh, I mean, Nadal had a superior one. I don't, I don't know the latest uh, because... 24-16. Okay, so it's pretty convincing. But uh, with that being said, I think uh, Nadal just made him a better player, like I think, and they did that both to each other. It's unfair to say that Federer didn't make Nadal a better player. Of course. Because I think uh, the drive to beat Federer, like you said, he won in Wimbledon. And we all know what that victory meant for Nadal. Like, when once he won. So, after that, like, it was only going up for him. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what more to add. I, I think they they were great for each other. Yeah. I need to uh, until Djokovic came and spoiled the party. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, I think we need to talk about that 2008 Wimbledon uh, final. I think it was a bit of a watershed moment because up until then, uh, the conversation and the narrative, quote unquote, was that oh, Nadal great on clay, Federer is great on grass and hard courts. But then Nadal started uh, gaining on hard courts as well. But I think once he be- once Nadal beat uh, Federer on grass. I think that to me was like, okay, Nadal is definitely a better player now. Just head-to-head. I'm not talking yeah. overall. It's all subjective. Head-to-head, I think Nadal has has uh, one up Federer. But I want to talk about the 2008 final, and which is uh, and which segues into my next question of our favorite moment, Roger Federer moment, right? Uh, my favorite Roger Federer moment is in the 2008 Grand Slam uh, Wimbledon final. Though he lost uh, in the fourth set, uh, the, the match ended up as a five-set thriller. But in the fourth set, Nadal had a match. I think he had a couple of match points. Federer saved one. And then uh, Nadal was serving. So Nadal was on match point. And Federer just out of nowhere has this backhand down the line uh, winner. Nadal is at the net. And I remember I was... Uh, I alluded this to Aniket earlier as well. I remember I was... Because it was late in the night in India when I was watching it. Uh, I was kind of asleep, not asleep, but I was in a sleeping position watching the TV. Uh, as soon as he hit that backhand down the line, I, I just sat up straight on my bed, man. It was so crazy to watch because that to me 
defines what Roger Federer is and what his playing style is to me, right? Saving a match point, which speaks to his temperament, that backhand down the line, just his style and his aura of the backhand, everything going right, and his economy of movement is it. It, it all it's almost as if he's he's not even uh, running for the ball. It's almost as if he's gliding to the ball, like he's a ballet. Like, yeah, he just like he. It was he just used sides and just takes two steps and boom, there it is, just silky, silky smooth. Uh, that is my favorite Roger Federer moment. Though he ended up on a losing side, I thought I was so so thrilled. Uh, gave me so much happiness watching that game. Oh yeah, man! Two thousand eight Wimbledon final, the greatest match that was ever played. Uh, you know, as you said, uh, what a comeback from Federer! Right, third, fourth set, he won, and then fifth, it went in the like. If it was, I wish they had played the next day because it was too dark to play. Dark. Yeah, to be honest, but it's okay. I mean, you know, these kind of decisions are made on the spot, and uh, nothing to take away from Rafa. But that really gave Rafa the confidence that okay, now he can become number one. And it took still, you know, next year because then he won two thousand nineteen Austrian Open, then he won two thousand ten U.S. Open, and then you know he had all four. And yeah, since then uh, Rafa is they started considering Rafa as the greatest. Um and yeah, Rafa was you know there was this time when Federer had sixteen Grand Slams and Rafa had six and yeah. Djokovic won. Yeah, and now they both uh, have more slams than uh, Federer. But uh, as you said, like you know, for me, Federer, I, I you know, the, the, some people call them the Federer moments. You know, like for example, two thousand nine U.S. Open, Federer was playing against Djokovic and he hit the twinner on the uh, which got him a match point in the semifinals. Who is like? Uh, I mean, I'm. Like, wearing, I remember he was wearing red. Yeah, correct. And Djokovic was wearing yellow, I think. And uh, it is such an iconic uh, point. And I have such like you know like hundreds of points in my head. Like I can just replay in my head again and again. And uh, but yeah, my favorite memory of Federer remains that 2017 Austin Open uh, final against Nadal because. Uh, being a Federer fan all these years from 2012 to 2017, it was a very hard time for us Federer fans, you know, because he hadn't won a slam in five years. And he was like, people were like, okay, he should retire. He was injured. He was gone. And then he made a comeback. And what a comeback it was. And to win against your greatest rival, where, you know, he made you kind of cry like just a few years ago. Um, yeah, I mean, it was very satisfying. And uh, those shots making, man, his one-handed backhand, you know, we call it Neo, Neo Federer backhand. It was like a like rebirth of his backhand. He was so fearless. The best backhand he, I think he's ever had in his career was two hundred seventeen year. And uh, yeah, I I never forget that twenty. It was all. It was not an outlandish backhand. He it was always controlled. I thought it was. It yeah. was not. He was not following through. With it. But in twenty seventeen, it was just went man. <laughs> yeah, I think it was incredible. Yeah, and Anika, do you have a favorite federal memory? Mine is again 2017. Uh, but all then, the fans, uh, by the way, all the fans swear by 2017 Austin Open final. So, I think and I, I'll tell you, it's a very, I mean, because uh, it turns out I'm also maybe nostalgic about it because that was his last. That's I mean, the point. The yeah. nost- nostalgia plays a role. Like I, I'm biased. But uh, beyond that, again, we discussed this Gotham in detail. Uh, the 2008 uh, game was uh, spectacular. But I always found. One thing I found, and this is an opinion, but I found uh, Federer to be flamboyant also on the pitch. Like the shots he played was just sometimes eccentric. 
like they were uh, and this reminds me of a lot of the shots when he had his back to the opponent and he's uh, played those through his leg and those those shots as a kid they used to really get me going crazy and there's <laughs> as an adult now i have recently gone and watched a compilation not one but many like 10 minute videos on federer's shots and Guilty. boy it just it just makes me happy that's all i can say like it's stuff to give yeah, yeah. I, yeah i'm guilty of the same thing there's also some of the shots that he's played early on in his career where he was somebody he, he was he was at the net somebody blocked Uh, somebody yeah it was andy rodic i think or oh, there's one andy rodic where he gets it around that yeah see he somebody lobs him he goes back away from the net it somehow smashes it behind him kind of crazy yeah. uh, but is... yeah some of the shots were very very insane the um, stats cannot prove you know that like no. that's what i like you know when people always put stats like it's like i cannot uh, like prove how amazing fedor is because you know you can't put them in stats all these shots you know it's like so fucking incredible yeah uh in but in one more one more thing i did want to add to that again uh this is in hindsight but uh, one of my favorite moments actually is when federer beat sampras because sampras at that point was what federer was to me now was at that point i just started watching yeah. tennis and i really loved that offensive game that sampras had i think i am biased because i tend to like all these serve and volley players uh i find them very exciting to watch and then one of the other moments that comes to my head is when you go back and see federer actually uh beat sampras right so that's another thing i wanted to add um he ends up achieving his career slam in 2009 uh, winning the french open for the first time yeah. i think it meant a huge huge deal for him that he ended up winning the french open mainly thanks to robin soderling uh <laughs> exactly now yeah. how uh, i think it is fair to say that federer got lucky uh, on that front i don't think he stood a chance against nadal on clay abhijit no but i i feel like you know federer is one of the greatest clay court player of his generation you know he won yeah. he reached five five roland garros finals that's huge right but <laughs> it's just that nadal was so much better <laughs> yeah i mean you are playing against the greatest clay court player of all time and he always met nadal in the final but let's not forget someone like federer has beaten djokovic at french open that 2011 semi final you know that celebration where djokovic was on some 44 win match streak in 2011 and then federer came to french open and he defeated uh, djokovic on clay uh, so yeah i mean uh, Federer, yeah, maybe you could say get lucky, but I don't think he was undeserving of it. You know, like Federer, if he has four slams, career grand slam in his life, he's earned it because he's made French Open finals five times and he's won and he's beaten players like Djokovic. But and people always uh, point out to, oh, but he did not beat Nadal. But who has like you know? I mean, yeah, nobody has. Like <laughs> Djokovic has. Djokovic has twice, but that's it. Like, right. You know, like, like that's it. That's about it. I mean, that's it. so you can't take away that from Federer. um and yeah i mean uh, that 2009 was quite remarkable because that entire summer because he had the double right he won the french open then he won mm-hmm. wimbledon uh very broke sampras record that is what they was getting to so how big was it also that he broke sampras record on grass in wimbledon amazing i remember in the stands again it was beyond bog rod lever pete sampras 
and uh, Federer defeated, uh, you know, Andy Roddick in that epic 16-14 in the final. Uh, what a match that was. And uh, it kind of, you know, because he lost to an 8 women final, to a 9 Austrian Open final. So, so, to see him make that comeback, it wasn't easy. But he won the French Open, then he won the Wimbledon. I think that's the summer he got married. He, You know, his wife gave birth to the twins. And I think, yeah, if that was the greatest summer of his life, you could say, you know. Uh, so, uh, I remember watching that 2009 final. There's everybody in attendance. Federer probably did not deserve to win that match. I thought Andy Roddick had a better, played a better game. But as you know, he Federer delivered on all those uh, big moments. Now, uh, I never thought Pete wasn't it second. wasn't it the same time where the Nike unleashed the RF gold uh, after the on the white? Did it, was it? Was it the same no, no, game? After it, it was a few years that RF and Nike were doing the gold. But I think uh, they had something for his seventh grand. I don't remember what. I can't jog my memory back. Okay, anyways, let me uh, check and get oh, back. Okay. Uh, I never thought Pete Sampras' record would be broken growing up because I th- 14 was such a big number for me back then. And yeah, nobody's going to surpass that because who was. Who was behind Sampras at that point? Do you I remember? Think, uh, uh, Roy Emerson was at 12 and Rod yeah. Lever was at 11. But they have all-time records, right? Um, so, I think, yeah, Sampras was like way ahead already. And nobody thought anybody could reach uh, Sampras. And then Federer defeated that record. And then Federer was leading, you know, at 20 for like a couple of years. And then now Nadal has come and Djokovic has come and it's 22 yeah. now. So, so when, I mean, he, when, when, he, when he went to 15 in 2009 at Wimbledon, uh, I, never, I never thought, oh, this is it. Nobody's going to reach him because Nadal, yeah, Nadal is gaining on Federer, but 15 was still such a huge can you, number. Anike. Can you believe it? 2009, he was at yeah. 15. Yeah. Man, like, shit, this decade was not his, like, it's so yeah. sad. But it's, it's, it, it wasn't like, it was just Joko's decade, you know, last yeah. year. Dude was on one one slam in two thousands, you know, two thousand eight Austin Open, and then now he has twenty one. So that was my question, right? So this is two thousand ten happens, two thousand nine happens, and then two thousand ten. This is when the lean period begins for Federer, where he's getting there, getting deep. But this is now a three horse race. It is Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, and probably Federer is uh, was the number three at that point. I think this was probably a time of. Frustration for him as well, also, Abhijit. I think 2010 he started like great because he won the Austrian Open, and I still yeah. that iconic speech where you know Murray cried and he said, "I it's a shame that I can cry like Roger, but I just can't play like him." <laughs> so, uh, so I remember he started 2010 well, and um, then Nadal won the next three. So Nadal completed his career Grand Slam and became world number one, and Federer ended as number two, I think, and 2011. Is when yeah. Djokovic came and he won 44 matches in a row. He won Austrian Open, he won Wimbledon, he won US Open. And uh, Federer didn't win for the first time in seven, eight years. He didn't win a slam that particular. But then again, 2012, he came back, he won the Wimbledon. Wimbledon. And yeah. then he became world number one also for a brief period of time. Uh, and he, you know, got that silver for Switzerland. Man, man. you have some memory. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, 2012 was again, you know, uh, pretty incredible for Federer. Then 2013, again, I think he went down. He became world number six. He just won one title that entire calendar year. Uh, so that was a bit sad then. He yeah. didn't have anything until 2017, which makes it all the more better that he won the 2010 Open for the fans. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, uh, I remember 2014, 2015, how close he came because 2014, he reached the Wimbledon final, lost yeah. to 2015, 
again Wimbledon final and 2015 again US Open final both lost to Djokovic and the thing is you know Federer was the only player who was closer to Djokovic at that level because Nadal was a bit injured he used to come he used to win do great on clay win French Open and yeah, then yeah. disappear but he Federer was the one who was beating Djokovic in Dubai Federer was the one who was beating Djokovic in Cincinnati it's a shame that he couldn't do it in best of five uh, but again, I, I I love that Federer because that's when you know that Saber came in and he was working with Stefan Edberg that time. And I don't know, it was a different Federer, but yeah, I really enjoyed his, that that Federer phase as well. And just a call back in time, like in two thousand eight, was when I first realized Federer was human. Like when he lost, he lost. Uh, yeah, I, I still remember me and my friend, we had such a heated. He was a Nadal fan. And I'm like, there is no chance. This is not happening, not in Wimbledon. And oh my God, I bawled that night when he lost. Like, even though, obviously, you had give it to Nadal for what a game it was. But that was the first time I felt like, oh shit, this guy can actually be beaten uh, on grass. So Yeah, that to me was definitely a, a, a what, what is it called? Uh, a turning point as far as my opinion <laughs> on Federer goes. Not that he, he, see, he did not cease to be my favorite player, but yeah, he was human after all. But yeah, I think as he grew older, this is just an opinion. I'm just going to say it. As he grew older, I think his game definitely he worked on his game quite a lot. And elite athletes, as I always keep saying, as they grow older, especially the elite athletes, they figure out a way to win somehow. They might not be the best athletes anymore. They might not move the same anymore. But they figure out how to win matches because they know what all the right things to do at the crucial moments. They pick their spots. Uh, but I think with Federer, um, he started to enjoy the game a little more for what the game meant to him as he grew older. I don't know if it happens to every other elite athlete or not, but I think especially as his kids grew up, I think he, he got a fresh perspective towards tennis and towards his life. He began to enjoy uh, tennis more rather than seeing it just as a, com- a competitive uh, event. Because I think, especially off the field, uh, he became so much more free of burden, so to speak. I think he was at a very comfortable, safe space. I think uh, mentally he was enjoying, he was not, he was still making even in the finals. He was really competitive, make no mistake about it. But I think he was not as frustrated anymore on losing the finals or semifinals as he grew older. I think that is my perspective, I believe. Yeah, I mean, um, I think it's a mixed bag, you know, because like Federer, uh, like people started calling him the greatest since 2009, right? When he defeated Sampras record. And from 2009 till until he retired, until, you know, Federer and uh, Djokovic and Nadal took his uh, record, like the past year, he was still called the greatest. And he always carried that pressure of being the greatest. And he had these two, uh, uh, you know, chasing him, like throughout, like Djokovic and Rafa. Now, Rafa and Djokovic don't have anybody chasing them right now, you know? So, there's that difference in how you approach a tournament. Uh, but at the same time, yes, I would say, yeah, he, he started enjoying his tennis even more. Uh, you know, he was doing so many things off the court with his foundation and his endorsements. And, you know, that also made him very successful off the court. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that pressure of being the greatest and continue to perform at the highest level, I think it really got to him. Until 2017, you know, finally, you know, he had a new coaching team and then he ended up winning uh, three more slams, you know, from 17, he went to 20. I mean, still, he, he was, he's the first man who reached 20 grand slams. I think that still remains a great achievement. And uh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm really happy how his career went. All these ups and downs all make sense at the end of the day. 
people grow people uh, change as they grow older uh, aniket what do you think for sure uh, i echo abhijit's thoughts a lot and i do i do resonate with your opinion as well in the sense that you did really see him enjoy his game in the latter end of his career it was more about being on court than about winning i mean i don't know if that's fair to say but i'm sure he wanted to win but you could see that there was equal joy in just being on the court uh, yes and maybe those losses <laughs> weren't where he would sob or be but he like i think he knew that uh, this is a loss he is ready to take i guess but anyways that's my limited point absolutely uh, so 2017 he has a great year in 2017 but he wins the austin open but also ends up winning the wimbledon beating marin silic and then goes to 2018 austin open wins that again right yeah. i think he wins it in straight sets again no no 2018 final was five sets man oh it was five sets against silic again okay yeah silic again uh, but yeah i mean that one and half year was one of my favorite years in recent memories because it was federer nadal federer nadal federer nadal and jokovic was nowhere in the picture because jokovic you know downtime yeah. was going on so that one and half year was spectacular uh, you know the people who the reason i started watching tennis were winning again it's like wow you know this was used to happen 10 years ago and again it's federer nadal federer and again it, at french open it's nadal and at wimbledon it's federer you know and so it was like the great one and a half years and uh, 2018 then uh, jokovic came back again again he came back and then uh, jokovic won two that year uh that, yeah uh, that so, guy man djokovic um djokovic, man <laughs> the machine is like the terminator but yeah. i think uh federer uh picked his spot at this he was in a stage of his career when he was picking his spot much like nadal was uh, where he was just not even participating in any of the french open tournaments right he did not participate for three years straight from 2016 to 18 so he was picking his spot at this stage i think he was being realistic about Uh, what uh, what he could do and what he couldn't do. Uh, he also won the French Open in Oman, which is probably a huge thing off his shoulder. So yeah. he was not chasing that anymore. Um, so any other comments on the lat- latter half of Federer's career? Any uh, because we spoke about the 2007 National Open, which is probably his peak uh, in a way because yeah. he won it. He came back. He hasn't won so long. Any other memories on the tour stands out for him of you, other than the Grand Slams? um i think just that the you know he was able to win 100 titles at the top tier you know the atp titles that was itself a great achievement i think he won his 100 title at dubai in 2019 and then he w- went on to win three more so he ends up his career at 103 titles um and yeah still like every time he came on the court you know uh, people were getting excited he sold out you know uh, crowds everywhere and uh, the 2019 final was like you know a bit heartbreaking it actually felt like a death in the family because you know he lost from the match point down um but uh, yeah i mean uh, that's what i remember 2019 i remember uh, that o2 uh, uh, at atp finals he defeated jokovic you know in london again where he had a big heart broken three months ago he defeated jokovic at the 2019 atp finals and i went to watch that game uh, where uh, dominic team defeated roger federer in london at the o2 and that's the last memory and then you know it, then uh, 2020 started uh, he again lost to jokovic in austrian open semi finals or something like that uh, quarters i think uh, or round of 16 i don't know uh, 2020 it's like such a but i remember there also he uh, was playing as this called player called tennis 
Sangren and uh, he, where he saved some seven match points and Federer came made a comeback. But that that that's the match I knew his knee was you know was gone, and uh, then of course the pandemic happened. Then he was out. Twenty twenty one he came back, you know played French, played Wimbledon, made the quarters. Not bad as a forty year old man, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, that's the last time we saw him before this. Yeah, twenty nineteen he made the quarterfinals in the US Open. Uh, yeah, uh, he lost to Grigor Dimitrov. Yeah. Wrong, yeah. So, uh, Aniket, any final thoughts before we wrap just, up here? Just a uh, uh, regret <laughs> that uh, I I tried to make it a point to watch all my fans, all my all the athletes I'm a fan of live. Uh, I wasn't able to catch Roger Federer live. Uh, yeah, even though I yeah that'll be a regret. Even though I made it to the Wimbledon, I couldn't see him live. So that'll be that's that's my last say. Like that, yeah, that's all I have. Uh, look, man, Federer. Uh, there's there's reason we watch certain sports. I think I loved tennis much before Federer came on, but I think I loved watching tennis even more after Federer came onto the scene. Uh, yeah. Federer was, uh, you know, they say poetry in motion, blah blah blah. But he's he's all that. You know, all of the hyperbole, all of the exaggeration that people say, all of the rosy pictures they paint about Federer, for a change, all of that is true. I think with Federer, because yeah. he was such a, uh, he was a great player. Obviously, the stats and the records speak for themselves. But aesthetically, he was such a wonderful player to watch. He yeah. he you wanted, as you said, I did not watch him live on a kid, but would have been so much better to watch him live because I, I keep watching all of these uh, uh, fan-made uh, videos from the crowd. Where you watch Federer in like real time versus how you see him on these ultra high definition cameras, it's such a treat to watch because he's fast and at the same time he's also graceful. So that to me, I think, uh, uh, sums up Federer nicely. Abhijit, what are your final thoughts? Uh, I just uh, want to say that you know Federer is timeless, and uh, I'm very sure his legacy will continue to build even more. Uh, Post retirement, uh, maybe mostly because of his off-court ventures, but his tennis will never be forgotten, and he will never be forgotten uh, in the world of tennis. Oh, for sure. Okay, uh, with that, I think let's move on to our uh, recommendations. I know I will let you go first, Abhijit. I'm going to recommend your piece anyway off the bat that you wrote. Oh, oh the Federal tribute that you wrote on newsonly.com. So. Any other suggestions or recommendations that you have? Sure. Uh, so I have this one book that I read last year. It's called Strokes of Genius: Federer, Nadal, and the Greatest Match Ever Played. So it's like it's it's about the 2008 Wimbledon final, and it's a beautiful lyrical description of uh, you know that entire match. And there are a lot of anecdotes and what was happening behind the scenes. And it, it's a great book. Like for anybody who's a Federer fan, a Nadal fan, or tennis fan in general, you should pick up that book. people who do not like to read books they can also watch the documentary that is made on based on the same book but yeah the book is called strokes of genius um i have a couple of recommendations uh, first recommendation i have is a column by sharda ugra on the bcci and uh, it overturning the oh, constitution that the parliamentary appointment uh, appointed committee made or the supreme court appointed Uh, made uh, all those years ago. Uh, now Amit Shah, sorry, not Amit Shah, Jay Shah and Sara Ganguly have gotten extended terms, much beyond what they were prescribed for. 
So Shardha Ugra uh, lays out in detail and also her opinion on uh, on this matter on the Hindustan Times. It's called Need for Change in Continuity and Unresolved Issue. Um, the other recommendation is uh, obviously we spoke about Federer. So there is a whole the there's a whole replay of the 2008 Wimbledon uh, match available on YouTube. It's six hours, 30 minutes, and 17 seconds long. So if you want, please go ahead and watch it in three or four sittings if you'd like, or if you don't have that much time, just watch the fifth set or the fourth set. Actually, watch from the fourth and the, the watch from the fourth set and finish the match. Uh, the whole replay is available. Federer lost the match, but I think, as Federer himself said, he lost a lot of matches, but that's not the point, right? Uh, so uh, watch that match. It's an all-timer, especially with how Federer retired with Nadal on his side. I think uh, that, that replay definitely deserves another watch. Um, having said that, thanks to producer Lippi. Thank you, Abhijit, again for joining us. It was great having you again. We'll keep having you as much. Whenever you want to return, just give us a call. Uh, Anike, thanks again, man. We'll uh, keep chatting on sports, but until next time, uh, we'll leave you with this Rolex commercial for our Jafetto that best, uh, best describes who he is just through music. How exactly do we measure greatness? By the number of titles, the number of grand slams, perhaps. But there are certain things that numbers can't convey. The beauty he instilled in the discipline, enriching and perfecting his game year after year. His grace and elegance on and off the court, which made him one of the most revered athletes of our time. Numbers will never fully encompass the extent of his legend continually growing, nor the breadth of his legacy perpetually inspiring. For his is a greatness that can never be measured. Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs, and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.